Hello, and welcome back to Nonprofit Profits with me, Emmanuel Daudu, where we highlight the people and practices behind some of the most impactful nonprofit work happening today. On this episode, we have Ramon Javier. He is the head of school at George Jackson Academy. George Jackson Academy, or GJA for short, is a selective need-blind all-boys middle school located in the East Village of Manhattan. GJA educates high-achieving boys, regardless of their family's economic means, with some of the best independent school education around. The school's tuition is $25,000 per year, but 100% of the families receive financial aid. Some families pay as little as $50 a month. The school truly believes that if you have the ability to thrive academically, then the education that will push you should be available regardless of your economic status. The school fundraises tirelessly to make sure that the resources needed for a quality, rigorous education are provided to families that could never afford it otherwise. Ramon has two decades of leadership experience at some of the most preeminent independent schools and educational access programs in New York City, such as Prep for Prep, the Trinity School, Teak, Packer Collegiate, amazing programs. He graduated from Williams College and then earned a master's of education and then a master's in psychological counseling from Teachers College, Columbia University. However, most importantly, he is a New York City native. In no uncertain terms, there is a tiny handful of people alive who have done more than Mr. Javier in supporting poor and minority independent school students from New York City. By some act of God, he decided to talk to me about his work, him being one of my teachers in high school. That, that may have also helped. Regardless, without further ado, Ramon Javier. Mr. Ramon Javier, thank you for joining us on Nonprofit Profits. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor, my brother. Absolutely. Okay. So first and foremost, I usually talk about the operations of an organization, the missions and all that stuff. But I think one thing that's salient to me is when you told me years ago, you might not remember this, that when you looked at the financial statements concerning your family, you literally did not understand how they survived. You literally did not understand how your parents were able to make ends meet. And of course, you benefited greatly from different educational programs that has bolstered you into the man you are today. Could you explain a little bit about your journey and how important education and that opportunity was for you? Um, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. My story starts with my grandmother, Maria Arias Guzman. She left the Dominican Republic in 1962 after the fall of a 30-year dictatorship. She was 37 and she came to a brand new country, didn't know the culture, didn't know the language. And I always start there because I don't know if I could have done that at the age of 37. So she came and then four years later, my mom, my aunt and my uncle came uh, and my mom was 19 at the time. And they settled on the Upper West Side around 109th in Columbus. And then eventually my mother moved up to, to Dykeman, to Washington Heights and whatever. And you know, it was tough. My father wasn't around. That's just that's just what it was. And it was me, my mom, my two sisters, and eventually my little brother and, and the stepfather entered the picture. And for me, it was always about school, right? So when I was in the third grade, Miss Jones, <laughs> she pulled my mother aside and said, um, there's another school that's that's right for your son. 
and it was a school called Mott Hall. It was this magnet school in Harlem. And Manny, it was like, it was nerd heaven. You know, it was a bunch of black, brown, Asian kids um, from all the different economic, socioeconomic statuses, just kind of nerding out, man. It was just cool to be smart. And then Miss McGoran, my fifth grade teacher, she recommended a bunch of us for this program called Prep for Prep. And the trajectory of my life changed. Mm. And I started in uh, 1989 in the seventh grade at the school called the Hackley School. And Hackley was is a K through 12 independent school in Westchester, and they had a small five day boarding program. So from seventh grade to twelfth grade, I would go up to Hackley on Sunday night into the dorm, and it was again it was 40 of us. And the school was about a thousand kids at the time, and 40 of us we stayed on campus in the dorms from from Sunday night. And then on Friday after school, we would go back home. So as you can imagine, I was living not in two different worlds. I was living in two different universes, right? The affluence mm. of Westchester and, you know, friends of mine whose bedrooms were bigger than my apartment. And then back to Washington Heights in the late 80s and 90s, right? Mm. And early 90s, which was, you know, it was a tough time. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful community and it's also a, a tough community. So all of the things that come with poverty, right? The, the connection and, and the sense of camaraderie and some of the other activities that aren't helpful, right? So I was balancing both of those things. And so it's no wonder that I am the person that I am. And I'll explain what I mean by that a little bit later. Anyway, so I went to college. I graduated from Williams in 1999. And at the time, they were just handing out jobs, man. Like, you want to do this? You, you have this degree. You can do whatever you want. So I did a bunch of different things. I tried law. I tried advertising. Um, and then I was like, what do I do? And I went back to my grandmother and my mother. And I said, well, what can they tell their friends that I did with all of this education? Right. And so I said, let me go to law school. And so I started at Benjamin Cardozo. Um, it was the end of August, beginning of September of 2001. And Cardozo was on 15th, on 13th and 5th. And that morning, you know, that morning, September 11th, one of my classmates comes in and he's like, Hey, um, a plane flew into the towers. And we were like, what? And so we went outside and we could see the towers. And by the time we got outside, one of the towers was crumbling. Wow. And so I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I know what those towers mean, what it took to build them. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, what do I do? And it was the eeriest, one of the eeriest, strangest feelings. And I didn't lose anyone very, very close to me that day, but I know many people did. Uh, but it was a very profound moment for me. I just started walking and I passed by this like bakery and a bench. I don't know what it is, man. Sometimes when you need something, the universe can provide it. And I needed a bench and somehow this bench appeared, right? I sat down and I'm just kind of sitting there with my head in my hands. And this man, this black man walks by and says, brother, can I, can I sit next to you? I'm like, of course. He sits down. He's like, can I tell you a story? I'm like, yes. He goes, you know, I've been married two months and this morning, my wife and I, we had our first fight as a married couple and I was late to work. And he paused and I was like, oh, what's coming? And he said, I work. And he pointed oh, to where the towers Wow. Were. And uh, it was, and we just both sat there, you know, two black men just kind of next to each other, just like really trying to understand the gravity of what we had just experienced and what it meant for him because he lost colleagues that day. And so I walked, I walked to my friend's house on 51st and 3rd. So I walked by Times Square. It was empty. It was just a crazy day. And I share all this to you because it was so profound because it was existential for me. It's like, what do I want to do with my life? And I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. No disrespect to any attorneys, um, but I, I don't, I had worked in law firms. I'd been a paralegal and a legal secretary. I was like, I don't want, I was doing this for the wrong reason. 
So I, I went and I did the final year and then I had the hardest conversation I had to have. And I told my mother and my grandmother, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be a lawyer. And they, in their infinite wisdom, they were like, we love you and we believe in you. And then they let me kind of struggle a little bit. And then I, you know, I, I figured out, like, I love school. I love education. I love psychology. And so I went and got my master's in, in education and psychological counseling from Peter's College. And I used that skill, what I learned in, in grad school every day from data, from evaluation, from how to connect with people, how to build relationships, and how to analyze systems critically. That's what I learned in that program. And I use it every day. And it was um, it was a blessing. But what I'll say, too, is, you know, I think the, the experience of going to Hackley, it, um, it was so formative for me because I'm, it, it taught me this one thing, Manny, eventually, that I, I reject the idea of code switching for me personally because I am all of these things at once. You know, like the first two tapes, I don't know if you know what, you know what tapes are. You know, the yeah, cassette list. tapes. <laughs> yeah, cassette tapes. I'm so, not that young, you know, I, mean, I got something on me. Okay, okay. But the first two that I bought were um, Metallica and Justice for All and Big Daddy Kane, Long Live the Kane. Those are the first two. I bought them at the same time. So I share that because I'm all of those things. You know, I like Nirvana and Wu-Tang, and I could mm -hmm. sing lyrics for both, right? So I just came to understand that I'm never going to be code switching. I'm just going to be accessing different parts of my story whenever I need them, but they're all part of me. I'm never going to be pretending to fit into some system that maybe wasn't designed for me. So education was at the foundation of who I am and my family. Um, anyway, so I graduated and then I, I went and started working at a charter school called KIPP. I was a, one of the founding mental health counselors for their first high school in New York City. The startup experience is amazing. It's amazing to see something from the beginning and, and kind of get it to where it goes. But I wanted to do different work and it wasn't happening there at that time. It is now to my understanding, but it wasn't at that time. And it was happening in independent schools. So I went off to become um, a director of diversity at Packer Collegiate and then at Trinity for six years. So I did that for 10 years for Packer, for Trinity. And then the opportunity to come and be at George Jackson Academy was presented to me. And, and I'm here, brother. And it's beautiful. Heavy. Heavy. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I have this whole list of questions and I have half the inclination to just throw all of them out and just ask you specifics about what happened. But I think one thing before I, I proceed to the question is it seems that the common that thread and narrative throughout all of this is one, education is super important to you, like you wanted to deliver that. Then two, that the opportunities presented to you were things that you took full advantage of. When you have the opportunity to take full advantage of these opportunities, how did you even have the wherewithal to say, this is the stuff that I want to pursue? Because I know a lot of folks, especially like from where we come from, the opportunities might even be there and might be announced to them, but they don't even really access it in the way that they should or want to connect with it. I remember when I was coming up, like programs for extra tutoring programs to get into different schools, they were presented, but it wasn't even a conversation sometimes. How did you like escape the conversation that was not always educationally focused sometimes in the community and like really harp on this to make yourself go through the system? Well, I, I was blessed. I was blessed with really amazing teachers. I mentioned Ms. Jones in third grade, Ms. McGarren in fifth grade. 
I mentioned my mother and my grandmother have amazing sisters. I've been blessed with really amazing women in my life, right? So I have that, right? So it's you're never alone. That's one thing you have. Everyone has to understand. You, you rarely do you do anything of, of meaning of substance alone, right? Uh, if ever, really. So so there's that, right? I need to acknowledge the folks that have looked out for me, which is partly why I want to and try to look out for others. Uh, the other the other piece was like I. I always liked school. I love to read. And there were people that encouraged me to do that. But we were poor, man. <laughs> you know, we were poor. We were on welfare and section eight housing. So I would have been unfed and unhoused maybe if for not those subsidy programs. So they, they're valuable. <laughs> they support people. And so the poverty is a motivator, man. Like I didn't want to be I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to struggle with my family. They're immigrants, right? And there's a, you know, there's something that comes with immigrating, right? Like I, I understood innately. I didn't, I couldn't articulate what my grandmother did, but I understood what it meant. I was like, oh, this means something. This woman came here for something. Um, the other part too is like Biggie has this line, either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. Like I was a little bit athletic. I'm not, you know, nothing, no recruitment, nothing crazy like that. I'm not trying to pretend anything like that. But I wasn't going to be the starting shortstop for the New York Mets, which is my still my dream job. That's still my dream job. <laughs> Are you going to tell the kids at GGA that that is your dream job? I tell them that. I tell them, like, this is number two. Like, I would leave this job to go be the shortstop for the Mets right now, of course. That's sure. never going to happen at all. But um, And so I understood that, right? Like, so I what I saw was, like, education is my hustle. Like, this is, this is my hustle, right? Because growing up, everyone was kind of looking for their hustle. Like, what's the thing I'm going to do? to help me get out of poverty. Mm. And education was the thing for me. I was like, okay, school. I'm gonna figure this out through school. So that's how I understood it. Understood. Okay, so but let's pivot back to GJA and the organization. Okay, so on the website, which I love, is Thank We you. Believe in Boys. Right. Very prominently displayed. And I love that. And to build upon that, you later state on the website, that you know how boys learn best. So firstly, what are some of the unique characteristics about boys' education that's different from educating girls? And then what are the approaches and strategies that you have to use in order to bring out that, whatever the, those approaches are when you're dealing with boys? I've, I've been blessed to be predominantly in all gender education spaces, and GJ is the first all single gender space that I've been in and the only obviously by extension the only all boys space that I've been in so it was really kind of an education for me um, and I'd always worked with the boys in the different schools that I'd worked but I'd also worked really closely with the girls but I don't claim to have any kind of expertise on girls education so it would be it would be disingenuous for me to compare the way girls learn versus boys I can speak from from the boys perspective and I can speak about what we do at GJA right I think that works at our school uh, there's, there is data that talks about there's differences in the brain, right? Developmentally, right? Girls will mature faster than boys. Boys might be more willing to take risky behavior. Girls acquire language faster. Um, so there's some of these things, right? So school, as it's traditionally designed, doesn't necessarily always benefit boys, right? And so you have to think a little bit differently. And so what we do, right? What we do is one, we create spaces for the boys to engage with each other across grade levels, right? So for the sixth graders, the seventh graders, and eighth graders, every advisory has a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Three, three of each in each advisory. We have nine advisories. 
So they're there and they're kind of engaging with each other across different developmental stages. So the older boys are kind of taking on roles of leadership. The younger boys are kind of looking out for mentorship. And the boys in the middle are kind of in between. And they're just coming out of, you know, less maturity into more maturity, stepping more into leadership. So we see that. It's like you see the trajectory of where they are at that time. For us, what's really, really foundational is organization and reading and math, right? So the organization piece, like, I don't know what it was like for you when you were a middle school boy, but, you know, I couldn't find my pencil. It was like in my hand. It was terrible. Um, and that's not the case for every single boy, but you see that often. That was me. That was definitely me. <laughs> you know, and so we're very intentional about that, right? And we do it in a kind of really concrete way. We try to do things in a really concrete way and then kind of explain the thinking behind it. So I'll give you an example. We use a planner. We use a paper and pen planner, right? Mm. Um, and every boy gets one. It's designed by our amazing art teacher, Ms. Kuma. And every boy gets it. Every adult gets it. And what we do is every Monday, as a school, as a community, we gather in the morning for community meeting planners. Every boy sits down, they pull out their planner, and we look at the month. If it's the beginning of the month, we'll start out with, okay, let's just review your goal from the previous month. What was it? How was that? Reflect on your previous goal. What's your goal for this month? Think about it and think about how you're going to execute, right? So that's where you start. And then it's, um, and then it's let's look at the month. Anything big happening this month? Oh, we have this day off. Uh, we have this event. All right, great. Put it in your monthly calendar. All right, now let's go to this week, okay? First thing we do for the week is there's a daily check-in, you know, uh, one through five, kind of where are you, like emotion, right? So teaching the boys, hey, just check in with yourself, emotion, where are you? And then it's, let's think of the week. What assessments do you have? What quizzes do you have? Do we have any special events for the school? Any birthdays this week? And everyone's kind of writing down by grade level. So you have the sixth graders that, oh, we have wordly wise, we have seventh graders, we have explorers, we have a physics test, whatever. And they're all kind of yelling it out by grade to each other. So they're all taking notes at the same time. So the sixth grade will say that, then the seventh grade, and then the eighth grade, right? So everyone's on the same page, right? Because they're all taking the same classes and they have the same teachers. So they know, everybody knows we have a math test on Monday, a physics test on Wednesday, explorers on Friday right, for their grade level, right? whatever that is for that particular week. So everyone's on the same page. And then we as the adults, we're also kind of like, okay, everybody, it's on everybody's radar to them. Hey, you studying for that test? You know, do you need any help? And then the next thing is like, okay, office hours. When am I going to do office hours this week, right? Okay, so I know I have these things coming up this week. So maybe I should go see Mr. Patio Dog for office hours on Tuesday because I know I have that test on Thursday. Or I should see Mr. McClellan for physics office hours because I have that test on Friday, right? So they're putting that in the planners every Monday. And then during the week, they go off and every, during the week, every, at the beginning of advisory, because advisory is every morning, unless there's community meeting, they're checking in with their advisor, right, on their planner. And at the end of the day, man, so the beginning and the end of the day, they're checking on the planner so they're sure like what their homework is. And we do it paper and pencil because, one, kids don't write enough. <laughs> kids have been, we saw from the pandemic how much kids were on the screen, how much humans were on the screen. And it was, you know, it was necessity, but we haven't necessarily broken that behavior. We were already kind of screen happy as a society, and the pandemic exacerbated that. So, like, just another mm -hmm. level. And I don't think we've regressed. We haven't kind of come back. We've stayed there, or maybe a little bit. And the impact on kids is just a greater reliance on screens. And that's, there's tons of research that shows it's not healthy to be on screen <laughs> all the time, right? It's a tool, but you should not be on it all the time. And as from a learning perspective for middle school boys, even less so, right? Because of their attention span, 
um, and their need to move around, their need to be like kind of physical and active in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, we don't really use the screen for the organizational piece. They have access to Google Classroom, they'll have calendars, but it's that planner. Um, and the beautiful thing is we have, this year we had two alums, they're ninth graders. They came back to visit and they were asking if they could get planners. And they came back, they had graduated and they, <laughs> they came back to see if they could have planners because they, they got so used to it, it was so helpful for them that for they sure. wanted to continue the practice. Right, so there's that. And then there's, you know, middle school boys, they stop reading, you know, they stop reading, right? And and that's a confluence of factors. Oh, it's not cool to read. You know, that's why I love my hall because the, and prep, because we read, <laughs> you know, at prep, we were reading. Could you books. explain that a little bit more? I'm, that might not be as intuitive to people. So, you know, when you say boys just stop reading, like what exactly does that mean? Because I understand that, you know, these, especially when kids, the boys nowadays hit preteen, they're on like YouTube heavy, they're on mm -hmm. TikTok or something. But now you remember pretty robustly that a lot of people read, especially like at school, De La Salle and GJA, the kids are heavy, heavily reading. Have you said that since 10 years ago, that trend has shifted significantly, even aggressively in the not reading direction? No, I'm saying that, and I'm not. I'm not speaking about De La Salle. I'm not speaking to Jay. We're very intentional about having our kids read independently, but mm. in general, overall, and this is a very broad generalization. Boys in general, in this country and in other countries too, because I'm part of the International Boys School Coalition Board, and you see it across in Australia, New Zealand, in, in the United Kingdom, other parts of Europe. Boys around middle school, they just stop reading independently. Like they may oh, read for school, okay. but they're not going to read on their own to the same level like it's a huge drop off. i was trying to find the statistics because i had a, a document and i can send it to you after it's actually from ibsc but it's a huge drop off of independent reading for boys and if they're just reading for school and they're not reading for pleasure the likelihood that they'll be lifelong readers decreases significantly like if they're just reading for work or for school and they're not picking up a book to read that's then they're not going to be readers Right? It's very unlikely that there'll be readers that are just reading because they like to read. And we all know the benefits of reading are, you know, they, they help with your writing, they help with your critical thinking. You know, one thing that I'm curious about trying to understand is, is there, are there emotional benefits to being an independent reader? Because I want to understand that for boys. And I, and I don't, I can't claim that there is, but I'm, I'm just curious about that. That's something I'm exploring. And so we're very intentional about that. Very intentional about our reading, right? Many schools have a deer, right? Drop everything and read. That's the thing that many schools will have. We have something similar, but we have this really beautiful library program. So the boys have a library in their schedule, right? Twice a week, they have library. Um, and they'll meet with our librarian. So I think it's once or twice a week, depending on the grade. And they go as a group. Man, it is it's the coolest thing to see. Like they're, the boys are broken up by section. There's two sections per grade. So six one, six two, seven one, et cetera. So they'll have their library period. And they'll be there. And they have a reading log right? And it literally tracks what they're reading independently. When, what did they pick out? When did they check it out? When did they start it? When did they finish? And any notes on it. I liked it, didn't like it. Um, and that's a way for them to track so they can just see, okay, this is what I'm doing. And it's like anything, right? If you're exercising, if you're tracking what you're doing, it's motivating because you can see the, you could, there's another example of the work that you're doing, right? It's tangible. So 
They can see their progress. They can see how much they're doing. One of the interesting things, too, that, that Mr. T Mr. Tyson, our librarian and, and eighth grade humanities teachers pointed out, he said, you know, some, I don't worry if a kid is, peak, is reading um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. If they're reading a book that's not necessarily to their grade level, he's like, I'm not worried about that. I want them just to be reading. Because eventually what he's noticed is as they track the book, right, let's take a book like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. It's got um, multiple volumes in the whole set of the books. For a kid that's in sixth and seventh grade, they should be reading something else. That's an appropriate book for a younger kid. But for a kid in sixth and seventh grade, they could be reading something more complex, right? And so what he's noticed is when those kids are kind of just picking those books, after a while, they're kind of like, they kind of realize on their own that they can be reading something else, something more complicated. They kind of realize it on their own, which is the beautiful part. Like, you don't have to tell them. They see it on their own. And then they start picking books that are a little bit harder. And so that expands their critical thinking, their reading comprehension, and that benefits them on testing. You know, it's got so many different benefits for kids. And so that's a big, so it's in their, it's in their, um, it's in their schedule, the reading piece. We have library and they love the library. When boys give tours, they save the library for last, right? Because they drop the, the guest at my office and my office is on the second floor where the library is. So we'll leave the library for last. And often they'll say, we left the best for last. We left the best for last. And often the guests are thinking like 3D printer or whatever, and then they take them into the library and the guest is like, oh, this is the best? And they're like, yeah, look at it. And like, they mean it, <laughs> you know? That's they mean great. It. So yeah. they become these kind of lifelong readers. That's our hope, right? Um, and then we've started this new program where it's tracking. They get to track how many words they've read. So it's like, okay, I read uh, Wings of Fire. I read this book, Wings of Fire, and the program will give them a little bit of a test on it just to confirm that they read it, and then it'll count the number of reads of words that's in that book, and it'll add it to their total number of words read. So we're hoping for all of our kids to read over a million words for the year. That's a lot of words, man. <laughs> and I can yes. keep on going. Curricular, if you want me to keep on. So thank you so much for that. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Ramon Javier so far. If you have consider rating five stars maybe even share it could sweeten the experience it surely would for me now back to the episode and now i want to pivot a little bit into you talk about lasallian tradition about educating the head educating the heart educating the spirit so you just did an excellent job of explaining how you educate the head mm -hmm. the heart we're going to go a little bit into later as we talk about community and what that means to GJA. But I want to talk about the spirit. What does that mean to you? And how is that executed in the policies and procedures at GJA? Um, so I, I, what I love about that part of our school, we're not a Catholic school, we're not a parochial school, we're an independent school, we're fully accredited by the New York State Association of Independent Schools. So it's important to understand that. But we were started by Brother Brian, who also started De La Salle, Brother Brian is a, is a giant in New York City education. He's helped so many kids and started many schools. Um, and we're one of the people that benefited from that. So it's in that tradition, like you said, head, heart, and spirit. And the spirit piece is an understanding that you people have a, can have a connection to a faith, right? Or For sure. to spirituality or to a higher power, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's, it's the, the, the order or the name of the religion that you practice is not the issue. 
right? Because we have kids who practice Islam, we have kids who are Buddhist, we have kids who are Christian, you know, different denominations of Catholicism or Christianity in our building. It's understanding that everyone can benefit from a spiritual life or a connection to a higher power. Everyone can benefit. And what that looks like, it can be very different for people. Like for me personally, I don't practice a faith, right? I don't. I was raised Catholic. I don't practice Catholicism, but I do feel a connection to a higher power, right? And, and it's something that I don't necessarily need to explain. I don't necessarily need to understand to then deep degree, but what it does is it can ground me and it can connect me to other people. So if someone says they practice Islam, I can understand the, the, the connection to a faith, to a higher power, right? I can understand um, someone who's Buddhist or who's Jewish. Like I, can, I can understand that connection. And I think that's where we meet at, as a community in understanding that you have a connection to something bigger than you. You have a connection to other people. There's a certain set of morals that you kind of want to live by in terms of treating people fairly and kindly and um, appreciating and recognizing people's humanity and dignity. And so that's kind of where it, it, that's where we can all meet as it relates to the spirit. For sure. I think instilling into people when they're young that there's something bigger than them that they can contribute to and find their place in. That's a beautiful message. And that pivots a little bit into the more of the community aspect. So GJA, very small school. And intentionally, that is by design in order to cultivate that community and let people get the face time they need with teachers or with their other friends in the program. And so when you're trying to orchestrate community, how do you, one, accomplish giving responsibilities to students so they feel challenged and they feel like they have something to have ownership of? But at the same time, how do you balance that with, okay, we're still like the adults in the room and you guys might want to make your decisions about how things run, but we have to, at the end of the day, be here. And I, I imagine any educator who comes on this is going to say this. It's about relationships. It's about relationships. Like the fact that you could reach out to me is grounded in the relationship we had when, when we were both at, at training, right? Um, so it starts with the relationship. I think structurally, I mentioned our advisory program. And so having the boys be in multi-grade advisories is key, right? Because there's no like, oh, you're a sixth grader, I can't talk to you. There's none of that because you have sixth graders in your advisory. There's no, oh, he's an eighth grader, I'm scared of him. No, because he's in your advisory. So you know eighth graders, you know seventh graders, you know sixth graders, respectively. I think that's really important because I being having been at different schools, you see the hierarchy of the grade level and you can see the separation across the grade level. So we break that down just structurally from our advisory system. Then the boys go to recess together, right? And we don't have a gym, right? We don't have we don't have a theater. So we go to Tompkins Square Park. So they're playing across grade levels. You know, sometimes you'll have like the seventh grade basketball game, the eighth grade basketball game, the sixth grade basketball game, but everything else is cross grade four square football soccer it's all cross grade so this is a continual opportunity for the boys to be talking and engaging with each other across grade levels that's structurally that's intentional and then we talk about these four core values right courage integrity empathy and leadership and our community meeting council we we try to operationalize what those mean right so for example empathy is feeling with somebody right it's not necessarily being sympathy you're not saying i understand exactly what you mean it's trying to understand something from someone else's perspective Right? So we talk to the boys about that, like, okay, how can you see it from his perspective, right? So we're trying to have them practice these kind of amorphous concepts and, and show them what they look like. And that builds community because you're seeing someone else that then sees you, 
right? And I think mm-hmm. that's at the heart of belonging, inclusion, any of that kind of work. It's does this person see me? Do I see myself? And can I see myself in this place? And and our boys, we're 100% boys of color, but it's not a monolith, as you know. <laughs> like all Black people are not the same. All people of African descent are not the same. And there's diversity within every group. And in our 100% boy of color space, there's tons of diversity of experience, of practices, et cetera. And so they get to see that as well. We're doing a spirit week next week, you know, color day, it's wind day, wacky day, and Thursday is culture day. And they're going to get to talk about their whole culture, um, you know, share a tidbit about their culture from Ghana or from Tibet. Like they're going to get to talk about it. And this should be another opportunity for them to show who they are. And the fact that they feel comfortable doing so in our school is, is one of the gifts I think of our school. Understood. And so when you're looking at now the teacher side and that community, so you've had teachers who have been at GJ for a long time, for a good amount of time. How do you find the right teachers for the community you're trying to build? How do you retain them? And then as you're retaining them, how do you make sure they're constantly upskilled to meet the current challenges? And I know all, everybody in the education industry was talking about the pandemic, how it forced people to learn and evolve in different ways. So if you want to weave that into, that'd be fantastic. Um, I have to start with Nicole McCabe. She's our associate of school. She's our instructional leader and she manages our teachers, right? And and she's great at it. And And so we've been able to keep a few teachers for a while. We just, you know, we have a handful, maybe with two teachers who've been here for a few years, one that's been here for 12 years, and they love, they get what a gift it is to work at this kind of school, right? So it's, so that's grounded in like the uniqueness of our school and a real belief in boys' education and what we're doing. So there's that kind of, there's that, that's internal and that's not something that anyone can create that has to kind of be for them. Yeah, so we, um, our teachers are, are talking to each other about what they're teaching across grade levels. And that's really important to kind of understand where, okay, this sixth grader is here. What do I need to keep in mind as the seventh grade teacher? What do I need to keep in mind as they're coming in? And what do I need to help get them ready for to do in eighth grade? Right, so that conversation, those conversations are happening on, in content areas across grade levels. And then having a few really experienced teachers with some newer teachers, that's also helpful too, because there's a lot of wisdom that can be shared in that regard. And then the other part is that we're expanding our um, our PD offerings, right? So we've we're doing a lot of work with, or we're accessing PD being professional development. Professional development, yes. So we're we're expanding our access to the International Boys School Coalition. As I mentioned, I'm a board member. I was just I just joined that board this year. And so we access them and they focus on boys education across the world. They do great PD for boys education. So we access that, meaning that our faculty and staff, they are asked to participate in, in that PD. We also send folks out. We have, you know, every school has their PD days. So we'll send our teachers to go, hey, go visit Grace Church School, go visit Xavier, um, go see what's happening at those schools. What can you learn from other teachers? Because that's the best professional development is going to another school and seeing what they're doing because they're putting an idea into practice and they're learning from that and they can share what they've learned with you. This works, this is what doesn't. And then you can think about, well, how does that fit in our community? Right? Because every school is not the same, right? There's some basic things. Um, but so there's that internal piece, it's the internal conversation, making time, holding space for folks to talk to each other. And then there's accessing established professional development 
and then also accessing other schools to see what's working there. Understood. And so with all the resources that you're pouring into these boys, naturally, these boys end up doing pretty well because it's a fantastic school. So in that context, when you're having a lot of boys trying to best themselves academically, how do you maintain that culture of academic excellence without it becoming detrimentally competitive? Yeah, that's something that I'm really, I'm really fascinated by. And it starts with the idea of brotherhood, right? Like it's not, it's, it's, it's a brotherhood, right? Brotherhood that lasts a lifetime. That's our other big slogan. And you ask our alums, what do you remember about TJ? What's the about TJ? They say the handshake and they say brother. Like every single one says that. And so we're constantly talking about brotherhood, looking out for your brother, being a brother, right? And so in doing that, we're also talking about to the boys about you're not competing with each other, right? I give them the example of, okay, you you had a, a test on Wednesday, but you were sick on Tuesday, so you couldn't come in for the test. Um, and so you come in on Thursday and, you know, you didn't get any answers from anybody. You don't know what the questions are. And you find out that the highest grade on the test was an 87, right? Okay, so do you try to get an 88 so that you can say you did the best in the class, or do you try to get the best grade you can get, right? There's a distinction, right? Because maybe you're just shooting for an 88, and you could say, hey, I got the best grade in the class, I'm the best. But is that the best that you could do? So is doing your best, does it really have to do with anybody else? It doesn't. It can be a motivating tool, right, to kind of push you, I want to do better than other people, but your best you don't really know what your best is until you push yourself. So we're encouraging them to compete with themselves, right? What can I do? What's the best that I can do? If that just happens to be a higher grade than one of your brothers and they did their best, then great, because that's what you want. You want them to do their best too and for you to do your best. It's not this zero-sum proposition because the idea being that if everyone does their best, then we all win. Right. Absolutely. And and just to give you an example, like when I was looking at this job, I wasn't I wasn't interested in who else was applying for the position. Right. I just said to myself, I have to put my best foot forward. I have to be my best because I don't know what anybody else's best is. I don't know what anybody else is doing. I just know what I can do. And so we try to talk to them from that perspective. Do your best. You don't have to worry about anybody else because you couldn't do better than, than your best. You can't. You know what I mean? And so it's from that perspective. So I'm not, I don't need to knock you down in order to do well. We can both do really well. Moving a little bit into the operation of the school and how you guys stay afloat. So how do you successfully keep a school where the fundamental premise is giving away money? Because I believe it's 75% of the student body is low income and tuition is $25,000 a year. And so with that being the case, how ha have you been able to, one, um, fundraise, been able to connect with the right people? And then two, how is it that you are able to constantly sell the narrative of GJA successfully? Like, what are the things that you say in order to make that happen? Well, it's, I think it's, it's a gift <laughs> to be able to be involved with our school. Like, I think about it and I'm like, why wouldn't you want to be involved? this dopeness like this is amazing come and meet the boys come and see the school why wouldn't you want to be involved the reality is that we raise over 90 percent of our operating budget our operating budget is around three million dollars and we raise 90 percent of that every year right so we're not wow. a tuition-based wow. school right? our, our operations doesn't our funding doesn't come from tuition we do charge tuition everybody needs to contribute something 
Uh, and the, co- the real cost of educating the boys, it, it ranges from, the sticker price is 25100 but it can range from thirty to 30000 depending on the year, right? You so said that's thirty the, to thirty one thousand, depending on the year. Thirty to thirty three. That depends on enrollment. That depends on staffing. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's the real cost, and 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 all schools will have like a real cost for an education, right? For like one year of education. So that's our real cost. It's not what you charge. Um, and so we, it starts with our board of trustees. They are phenomenal. Like they are phenomenal. These are people who they did not graduate from George Jackson Academy. They do not have children in George Jackson Academy. They do not have grandchildren. Which is different from a typical independent school whose board consists of alums or parents or grandparents, right? People who have a really vested interest in what's happening at the school at that time, right? Lovely, but that's a different model. So it's, and I always kind of point this out to our board, like you don't have to do this, and it's great that you do. I don't encourage them to stop, but just to kind of highlight like what's amazing about what they're doing. So it's it's philanthropic in that way. We also have relationships with foundations that give us money. Um, and then we do a lot of fundraising. We have a great advancement department. We've had great advancement folks in the position for years. And we have a great person in position now, Allison Bloss. Um, Carrie Tatum was there before that. And, you know, a bunch of folks who were in those positions. And so they go out and they raise money. Right? We do our annual appeal. We do fundraisers, giving Tuesday, et cetera. Um, but what I, try to, what I talk to folks about is the impact. We're small school with a big impact, Right. I talk to them about the boys that graduate, they go off, 60% of them, 70% of them are going to top independent day and boarding schools, 30 you know, to 40%, 30% are going to top Catholic schools, Fordham, Reaches, Xavier, et cetera. And then 10 are going to specialized high schools and other high schools in New York City. And they're going and you know, they're having an impact on their community. They're doing well academically. They're good people, you know, they're leaving, they have good character and having an impact in that way. And so why wouldn't you want to be part of a school that serves a group of a population that needs the support and is going to go off and have a huge impact? Like we just had an associate board breakfast and one of the associate board members is an alum from the class of 2009. He was just admitted to the bar in the state of New York and we were celebrating that with him this oh. morning, you know? Mm. Um, so it's, it's fundraising, fundraising, fundraising. And I just think it's, why wouldn't you want to be part of, of this? Like, and that's how I, I approach it when I'm talking to funders. And then, you know, I talk about different things that we do. But. Absolutely. See, it's um, in, in a world where resources are constrained and you're trying to make sure that you have the efficient allocation of capital, what are some of the heuristics or just general strategies that you use in order to prioritize what needs to get done? I assume because the students are the main thing you say, okay, what do the students need to graduate? Like graduation rate is probably really important to you. But outside of that, what are some of the things that really guide your prioritization of allocation? Um, we're looking at what's going to have the biggest impact, right? So we're looking at, um, we use an organization for our test prep for our boards, right? And then it's something the boys can always access online. Um, they can measure their growth. Um, it, they can consistently practice, and then we can bring that into the classroom, right? So thinking about that, um, we allocated more resources to marketing. You know, when I got here, it was like GJ, the, the best kept secret, and who wants to be the best kept secret? Not not us, not as a school. Maybe for other purpose you do, but not as a school we don't. Mm-hmm. So we put um, some resources into marketing this year, and that's bearing fruit in terms of our recruitment. I'm excited about that. Um, 
but we're we're actually celebrating our 20th year. Our school opened in 2003, and we're celebrating September 2003. So we're celebrating our 20th school year, um, and that's a big push for us to kind of show this is where we started, this is where we are, and this is where we want to go. And where we want to go is to you know we want to grow a little bit um, our, our enrollment. Um, we want to continue to add and solidify the programming that we do that we believe in but also build new relationships with other organizations that will give our boys more and more access. I remember growing up in New York City in Washington Heights and taking my friends down to the village one time. We were like, yo, we live in New York, bro. Like, can, let's leave the block. Let's, let's leave the block. Let's For sure. look at where we live. And so from that perspective of having our boys understand they live in one of, if not the greatest city in the world, and, and what is available to you? Everything. You know, we just did a mock trial case yesterday manny oh my god these boys worked for like four months to put on a mock trial and one of our teachers his sisters work his sister works at the third good marshall federal courthouse right on 40 foley street and they did the trial in one of the courtrooms room 705 yesterday i mean it was that's dope. amazing it was that ridiculous. is amazing you know so it's that kind of exposure to kind of see like oh this is what's possible like why isn't this possible for me why why not for sure, for sure. Um, we're we're gonna have to talk about bringing your kids into the office. This is that that is an amazing opportunity. And I'm glad they had it. Um, okay, in terms of the personal benefit that you derive from this role, because oftentimes when we talk to people in positions that leading nonprofit organizations and these million dollar budgets about, oh, I'm helping the people. But one thing that is also important is receiving and being compensated in that way for the work that you do. So when you're interacting with the students and the teachers, what are some of the things that you look forward to in your day and how has that enriched you? You know, one of the schools that I worked at, I, uh, I tried this for a few weeks. I tried greeting folks in the morning and, uh, and it didn't work out. It was just, I don't know, it's kind of a, some people liked it, other people were like, what's happening? This is different. You know what I get to do every morning, brother? I get, to, I get to stand in front of the building and I get to shake every boy's hand as they come. So, mm. right? So that's something that a lot of schools, I know they do that at the LaSalle, they do that at a lot of schools. For me personally, as someone with mental health training, um, one, I play music, all right? I play all kinds of music. So today it was, um, it's Friday, what? And Saturday, Sunday, what? Right? A little bit of pelacuti, we play some salsa, some reggaeton. But every morning, I got my phone and I'm playing music because I want the boys to feel joy when they walk in the building. That's the first thing. Sure. So they'll hear the music as they're walking up. And then as they walk up the two of the three little steps, it's a handshake, eye contact. And that exchange of eye contact with them. I'm, I'm just checking in with them. I'm, I'm checking into their eyes and I'm thinking, okay, what did you look like yesterday? What do you look like today? You know, is there anything going on that I can pick up on that I can then share with the faculty and staff, right? But then it's also an opportunity for them to feel seen because it's like, you know, I try to have something a little bit different with every kid, right? Some kids I'm like clapping for them. Some kids I'm commenting on their sneakers. Some kids, I'm, you know, talking about what food they're bringing in trying to make it personal so like they feel seen when they come in, they hear their name, they hear music, they get a handshake from the head of school, a big smile. Um, and that's my favorite part of the day. The rest of the day is great, but that is like my absolute favorite part because I get to connect with each boy and I get to like, 
I get to let them know, hey, we see you. You're seen. You're seen mm-hmm. and you're and you're loved here. So come on in. Let's have a good day in this place that's supposed to bring you joy. Um, and at school, school's supposed to be joyful. I mean, cultivating joy, Dr. Goldie Muhammad's book is fantastic. It talks about cultivating joy. Like school should be joyful. Like, why not? Why does it have to be this miserable experience? No, you can learn and have fun. So that's that's man, that is my absolute favorite thing I've ever done, I think, professionally. Absolute favorite thing. Every morning. It's what I get to do. Um, and if I'm traveling, you know, I miss it. I'm like, <laughs> you know, they get it from somebody else, right? Which is great because it's it's about them. But if you're asking, like, what do I get? That's, yeah. that's for me, that's that's the gift that I get to start every morning connecting with everybody. That's a beautiful thing that you get to share that with every single boy there. And it's so fascinating because coming up, I mean, our, our our stories are not quite exactly similar, but, you know, they very much rhyme in terms of the benefit of education that it has on our lives. I went to De La Salle and all that. And so in that whole entire adjustment phase between a middle school that even though, you know, there's a lot of different cultures, but kids are from the same socioeconomic background and they're eventually moving and shifting towards going to some of these high schools that are not for people necessarily who are from their a shared socioeconomic background. I know when I was going from De La Salle to Trinity, it was whiplash. It was like, whoa, what is this place? I don't understand what's going on. This person got what? This person got huh? It was like, it was craziness. Mm-hmm. So you're definitely like the rigor of the education you provide is inherently preparing those boys for to the exposure to that environment. So how are you thinking about the eighth graders that you're talking to and prepping that for, prepping them for that transition? Well, I, I did something similar to what you're describing, Manny, but I left home, right? And I didn't just leave like my neighborhood, I left my city. I went up to Westchester and I was in a boarding space, right? So I so take what you're talking about, like to just a slightly another level, right? So I here's what I learned from that. There's no way you can ever fully prepare a boy for that transition, a student for that transition. It's impossible. There's no way, right? What you can do is ground them in a strong sense of self. Obviously, prepare them academically so they know so they know they're smart and they know they can do the work. But grounding them in a strong sense of self in terms of like I know who I am, right? Like I I, I have a sense of, of who I am, and that's not going to get shaken. That's not going to get rocked, right? Because when you go when you go somewhere that's completely different, somewhere you haven't been, the tendency could be to like question yourself, right? Like or withdraw within yourself. And if you don't have a strong sense of self or a strong foundation, that can be shaky and you can make choices that aren't going to be beneficial to you, right? So making sure that they're prepared academically, of course, but also making sure that they have a strong sense of self and that they know that they're loved, right? So they have a home, right? Obviously, they have their home. They have GJA as a school home as well. They can always come back. They can always check in with us. Um, And a lot of alums do, man. They They just show up. They just show up. You're just like, did you have an appointment? I learned to stop asking the question. When they come, I'm just like, great. Hey, you're here. Wonderful. What's up? How are you doing, brother? Even if I've never met them. So, but structurally and in terms of programming, the second half of the eighth grade, we they, they take a class, right? And um, they're, they're talking about that transition uh, from a socioeconomic perspective, from a cultural perspective. We'll have different alums come and visit and talk to them about, hey, this is what it can be like. This was my experience. These are some of the things that I did. Um, these are some of the resources that you can access. Um, and schools have definitely done, they're doing a lot better than when I was in, in, in independent school. 
having positions, you know, expanding their counseling department, having um, expanded learning support departments, if that's what's needed, um, having offices of equity and inclusion, um, having those resources, that's different from when I was coming up, right? So having structurally schools that are doing better, they can do a lot better, but they're doing better in that regard. But from what we do, you know, it's building that academic foundation, having them leave with a strong sense of self, because middle school is really tricky, man. It's a really tricky time. Kids are making a lot of different choices that could affect who they turn out to be. It's not finite or permanent, but that's when kids start making choices about how they see themselves, what's important to them, what they want to be connected to. They start making those decisions. And so being in a place that's going to push you or guide you towards making healthy decisions and a strong sense of self, that's pretty much the best thing that we can do in that regard, along with the like, hey, here's this person who did it. Here's an alum who had this experience. Um, you know, one thing we got to do this year, too, is just take the eighth graders to visit. We went to visit Grace Church. They invited us to go visit, took the eighth graders there. We started that last year with this class, the class of 24. They went to seventh graders to meet with their medical group. And then this year we went to their symposium, and then they're going to come and visit us. And what was great about that is making sure that they got to be inside an independent school. Because it's different, right? Like we're, you know, we our, our school, our building does not look like any independent school, any other independent school they just have a lot more resources. So it's good for them to see it. So it's not, the culture shock is not as big. It's like, okay, I've seen what these schools can look like. And they go on visits, but I think going as a group as well is helpful. So, I mean, the, the analysis is there is no way to can fully prepare someone. It's like going to outer space. Like, yeah, you can do the simulator, but you're not in space. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Space for sure. You go to space. Okay. Um, Thank you for that. And I really want to be respectful of your time. So my last question has to be, if people feel so moved and they want to contribute to GJA, get involved, get in touch, what are some of the ways that people can do that? Um, the financial support is always welcome and needed. So you can go to gjaacademy.org, hit donate, and you can contribute that way. Um, our advancement director is Allison Bloss ablas at gjacademy.org. You can reach out to her. You can reach out to me, rjavier at gjacademy.org. All that information is on the website. I, um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. I'm telling the story of GJA once or twice a week, constantly telling the story, opening what, what's going on in our school. So you can follow us and learn about there. And I'm always encouraging people to come and visit. Like, come and see it for yourself. Come take a 20-minute tour with the boys. It will it will change your understanding of what's possible from a school, um, especially an all-boys school, because sometimes an all-boys environment can have a really negative, um, there can be negative thoughts about what that looks like. And that's not us because, you know, we're, we push them academically. We value what it means to be a boy in middle school. Um, and we show them a lot of love and we have them explore vulnerability and the full range of human emotions. And that's, that's imperative for boys today because it'll impact the kind of men they'll become. Absolutely. All right, Mr. Ramon Javier, head of school at George Jackson Academy. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man, for having me. Very proud of you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Nonprofit Profits with me, your host, Emmanuel Dadu. Thank you so much to Mr. Ramon Javier for joining us, learning about George Jackson Academy. 
always a great time. If you feel so inclined to link up with them, I've put their information in the description of this video. What a wonderful school they are indeed. Be sure to rate five stars, like, subscribe, all that good stuff wherever you are, and I'll see you on the next episode. Peace.